tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Oh, hello. <laughs> Once again, we're here in, well, more obscurity. Actually, isn't that obscure? Well, some of it's obscure. If it isn't, I'm sure I can make it obscure. Let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. Enkindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, all right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. You know the one, the Bible. And the readings for today uh, are from the, the first readings from Isaiah the first chapter uh, and following. And of course, it leaves out a little bit. It's, it drops six verses. It ends with 10. And then it it goes down to 16. And I think it's kind of interesting uh, to look at the whole chapter, as I always say. So let's do that. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let me go back to one little thing here. Yes, the 10th verse and following. All right. Hear the word of the Lord, princes of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, people of Gomorrah. Uh, what's Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, they're being compared to, to uh, Jerusalem is being compared to the immoral cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed by the Lord. And this is kind of important because uh, Jerusalem is, is on its way to destruction. Now, this is the time of Isaiah, which is a, a good while before the the destruction of Jerusalem, but it's coming because they won't repent. And I think that's a very important thing to understand that a refusal to hear God is an invitation to disaster. Um, this is this is something we need to learn because we certainly don't want to have anything to do with the Lord. Um, in much of the much of the 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 world in which we live. So Isaiah, I was in the 8th century BC. Uh, let's see, do they have a specific date? It's hard to to figure out exactly when he was born, but he was born in the reign of King, uh, I think in the King of King Uzziah. Uh, so uh, he, he started his ministry on 740 and uh, the, the exile of Jerusalem was until 580, but it was coming. 
It was coming. So, well, let's go back to the reading. The um, wash yourselves clean, put away your misdeeds, make justice your aim, redress the wrong. And after the 10th verse, he talks about sacrifice. What do I care for the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of Holbert Rams, the fat of, of, of fat and cattle. The blood of calves, lambs, and goats, I find no pleasure. When you come to appear, when you come to appear before me, who asks these things of you? Trample my courts no more. To bring offerings is useless. Incense is an abomination to me. Now, a lot of people would read this and say, well, therefore, we shouldn't have all this liturgical stuff. I don't think that's what Isaiah is saying. The sacrifices, when they're genuine, are are very important to us. Uh, that that um, How to put this? God speaks to us in the liturgy, in the sacrifice of the Mass, through physical things. If we have the attitude that, well, if I give the Lord incense and a couple cows and a few chickens, he's going to owe me. That's crazy. God doesn't owe us anything. What happens in the liturgy is we make covenant with the Lord, and the Lord speaks to us through the symbols of the Mass. Uh, and through the symbols of sacrifice. Sacrifice is very important, but the sacrifice God wants is a contrite heart. Uh, the scriptures are clear on that. If, For instance, uh, um, this is a parody, of course, and I, I should, well, oh, I'm, I'm off the topic, so I might as well just enjoy. The lighting of candles. We Catholics love to light a good candle. And I did not understand the lighting of candles until I put together things that two people, two different people, had told me. I remember the first time I was invited to Rabbi Lefkowitz's house for Sabbath dinner. It was a bit of a risk. I mean, there's uh, Orthodox Jews get nervous <laughs> around Catholic priests sometimes for some reason. Um, well, Rabbi Lefkowitz decided to take a bit of a risk and have me over for Sabbath dinner. It was a Friday night in Lent. Out comes the gefilte fish, which I think of as aquatic spam. It's definitely an acquired taste. Well, okay, gefilte fish. Then out comes the noodle kugula. I'm batting a thousand. Then out comes the turkey. And I looked at the rabbitsin, the rabbi's wife, and I said, I can't eat that. And she said, you can't eat that? Why not? I said, it's Friday and Lent. And she looked at me and said, but it's Shabbos. And I said, for you, it's Shabbos. For me, it's Friday and Lent. And she said something fascinating. Certainly God will send you an extra neshoma so that you can eat the turkey. A neshoma is is the Hebrew word for soul. Um, God sends extra souls to us. To help us in great joy, in great mourning, for the different needs of life. It's it's kind of like sending an angel, a guardian angel, a neshoma. God sends extra souls to, to people for certain things. So so the Rabbitsin thought that God would send an extra soul to me. to do The soul could do the fasting and I could eat the turkey. And I looked at her and I shook my head and I said, I don't think God's going to send a Gentile an extra neshoma so he can eat turkey on a Friday in Lent. 
And the rabbi was sitting at the end of the table just waiting to see who was going to win. And when I won, he kind of nodded and smiled, and we became the best of friends. And he said to me once, I like you because you're Orthodox. And I said, he said, not Jewish, but Orthodox. And I said, well, I, I try, Rabbi, I try. So that was a Neshoma. Well, the interesting part I learned about the Neshoma is the Neshoma is symbolized by the lighting of candles. Before it is Sabbath, just before it's Sabbath, there's something in uh, among Jews called candle lighting. And candles are lit. Where you're going to eat your meal, uh, and those candles symbolize the neshoma. Those are the extra neshomas that God sends you to celebrate the Sabbath worthily. The extra souls that God sends you—that's what candles are. They're the extra soul. That's part one of my of my understanding of the lighting of candles. Part two came from Jim Ader, the soup kitchen director at St. Thomas, who recently passed away. A great, great man. Um, I needn't go into that. Those of you who know him uh, realize what a great man he was, and I believe is. But that said, he had been away from the faith when he was young, and he was traveling overseas with a pack on his back and was in the process of coming back to the Lord. And he went to Assisi and visited the tomb of St. Francis. It's down in the lower crypt of, of the church there in Assisi. And... Uh, you can light candles there. And Jim had to go. His train was leaving. And he so wanted to stay in prayer. And he lit a candle and realized this candle represented his desire to stay there in prayer. That's what a candle is about. It is. It symbolizes the angels that God sends to join you in prayer. And when you have to go, well, it's the candle symbolizes your desire to stand in prayer. Some people think that a candle is kind of magic. And if I light a candle and put a buck in the, in the poor box there, that, that God owes me. God owes you nothing. A candle does not enhance the glory of God in any way. He who set the stars to spinning and lit the sun is not impressed by your gift of a candle at all. What's the candle for? It is an expression of your desire to remain in prayer with the Lord. If the candle symbolizes a true desire in your heart to be with the Lord and a true prayer, it's a glorious thing. If, if you know, you, you, you go into, <laughs> yeah, I've been in supermarkets where they'll sell candles and I've even seen one death to my enemies. And you say the prayer asking God to kill your enemies. Do you think this is pleasing to God? I don't think so. Um, you see, something can be used beautifully in a very spiritual way. Praying with something physical is a beautiful thing. Or it can be used in a horrible and superstitious way that is, well, sin. So understand what's being said here. Trample my courts no more to bring offerings is useless. Incense is an abomination to me because they're being brought in the wrong spirit. Uh, your new moons and festivals I, de de uh, I detest. Uh, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves clean. Put away your misdeeds before my eyes. Cease doing evil. Learn to do good. Make justice your aim. Redu redress the wrong. Hear the orphans 
plea, defend the widow. Beautiful thing. Now, this gets very interesting. <clears throat> that doesn't mean sacrifice is bad. It just means sacrifice that is not tied to moral behavior it means nothing to the Lord. But let's, let's, let's go to verse 18. Come now, let us set things right, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they may become white as snow. I believe this is a reference to something very, very interesting. The, uh, the Yom Kippur sacrifice. Uh, the Yom Kippur sacrifice involved two goats. One which was sacrificed to the Lord and one which was sent out to the demon Azazel in the desert. And the the one that was to be sacrificed to the Lord had a red cord tied around its neck, symbolizing that it was uh, to be sacrificed. The other had a red cord tied, I believe, uh, between its its uh, uh, horns. I've also heard that that red thread ended up tied to the doors of the of the sanctuary, but I haven't been able to find that. But these red threads were involved, and the the goat that was to be driven out to the desert, um, I think it was just that goat. Um, <clears throat> the 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 thread, this red thread, during the course of the ritual would turn white. And this was a symbol that the Yom Kippur sacrifice had been accepted. Now, look at what we read in in the text today. Let's see, where did I put the text today? There. Um, Though your sins be like scarlet, they may become white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they may become white as wool. If you are willing and obey, you shall eat the good things of the land. If you refuse and resist, you shall be eaten by the sword. That's the idea that this red thread miraculously turned white. Now, very interesting. We read uh, in the uh, uh, Talmud, in Rosh Hashanah 31b of the Babylonian Talmud, for 40 years before the destruction of the temple, the thread of scarlet never turned white, but it remained red. Isn't that interesting? This is, this is, uh, uh, I'm reading, let me read directly from, from the Talmud here. It is taught in a baraita. During the 40 years before the second temple was destroyed, the strip of crimson wool would not turn white. Rather, it would turn a deeper shade of red. As we learned in the Mishnah, when the temple was destroyed, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai instituted his ordinances. This shows that Rabbi Yochanan lived and taught Torah after the destruction. <laughs> the, the, the Talmud is not an easy read. <laughs> uh, certainly not for a Gentile like me, but very interesting. During the 40 years before the second temple was destroyed, the strip of crimson wool would not turn white. Rather, it would turn a deeper shade of red. In other words, for 40 years before the temple was destroyed, about 70 AD, the Yom Kippur sacrifice was unacceptable to God. Isn't that interesting? It was unacceptable to God. What happened 40 years before the destruction of the temple? the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection in 30, 33 AD. It depends how you, you count it. But 40 years, that sacrifice, the Yom Kippur sacrifice, was unaccepted. That's, I believe, because it was unnecessary. Isn't that interesting? That's, that's If you want to look it up, it's Rosh Hashanah 31b. All right, let's go back to the text here. Um <clears throat> If you, if you are willing and obey, you shall eat the good things of the land. If you refuse and resist, you shall be eaten by the sword. 
I think that's a very interesting thing. Now, let's go to the gospel. Matthew, the 23rd chapter. Uh, let me look. At the Oh, boy, I've talked a long time. This is, I'll, I'll use part of this uh, for the word of the day, the word father. But uh, uh, Jesus is saying, you know, the, the Pharisees and the scribes have taken the seat on the chair of Moses. In other words, they are teachers of Moses. So do what they, whatsoever they tell you, but don't do what they do. Uh, they, they lay heavy loads on people's shoulders. Um, and they widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. So what Jesus is saying is essentially what Isaiah is saying. Don't try to look religious, be religious. Have you ever thought that, you know, the devil wants you to feel holy. God wants you to be holy. Devil doesn't mind if you feel wonderfully sanctimoniously holy just so you avoid doing anything that God wants you to do. That first reading, all these sacrifices mean nothing to, to the Lord because they are not attached to repentance and, and contrition of the heart, and they're not attached to, to moral behavior. And the gospel is saying the same thing. Stop trying to look religious. Be religious. Stop trying to look spiritual. Be spiritual. Stop trying to look kind and generous. Be kind and generous. Uh, the devil has no problem with our looking good, provided we aren't good. <laughs> uh, um, you know, you all know the holiest person at the prayer meetings, the one with the biggest Bible. We've, we all, I do. We all fall into that trap. So, <laughs> yeah, the voice in my head just said no one's ever accused him of being holy. <laughs> His Bible's very small. No, it, but it's fine print. He's young. He can read it. So, understand that that there is nothing wrong with the rituals of religion if they are tied to a truly moral and godly and righteous and generous life. That said, we're going to take a break. We will come back with a few letters and we'll open the phones at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for independent thinkers at relevantradio.com forward slash U Dallas. It's a great old song. We used to sing it at prayer meeting. Call him up and tell him what you want. Gosh. Oh, this takes me back. Oh. Let's. I like this song. This I've never heard this version of it. It's it's much better than the version we sang at prayer meeting. I like it too. Jesus on the mainline. For all you young people, you don't know what mainline is. You used to have these party lines, and uh, it was like uh, extensions that you had in your house. And one neighborhood would have one main line, and uh, um, you listen to, uh, you could sneak in and listen to other people's conversations on the party line. So um, 
The main line. That's it was it was the neighborhood line. I had enough reminiscences of some old guy. Let's go to letters. All right, let's go to letters. Here I got letters. Boy, have I got letters. All right, this one is um, um, uh, from Roxy in Green Bay. I just wondered if you saw the movie Jesus Revelation, and if so, what are your thoughts? We have Jesus Revolution. Revolution. Oh, Jesus Revolution. I've heard of that one. You know, um, uh, I haven't seen it, so I can't recommend it, but. That was, uh, you played a song that we would sing during the Jesus Revolution uh, back when I was but a lad. They call them Jesus Freaks, uh, the Jesus Freaks. They looked like hippies, but they were they were stoned on grace, and that was all. It, it, have you seen it, Dear Voice in My Head? I have not seen it, but relative to Christian movies, it's it's pretty it's done pretty well at the box office. It's got Kelsey Grammer and wow. the Jesus from The Chosen. Really? Wow. Well, I, I, uh, uh, the chosen Jesus. What's his name? Rumi. What's his name? Jonathan uh, Rumi. Jonathan Rumi, who is a, a, a Catholic and, a, and an extraordinary minister of communion. So, uh, um, uh, you know, I, I suspect it's all right. I'm going to end up seeing it. But what I wanted to comment on this letter really was why I really wanted to comment on this letter was I, I just wondered if you saw the, the movie Jesus Revol- Revolution, and if so, what are your thoughts? We have evangelical friends that want us to go with them. You know, I would say to them, do you think that I'm saved? And, well, we don't know if you're saved. Only God knows that. That's a good answer. And, oh, yeah, we think you, maybe you can temper by saying, do you think we're Christians? If they say, not really, Catholics aren't Christians, then I wouldn't go with them. Um, I would see it on my own because they're interested in getting you to leave your church and join theirs. And one is not saved by church membership, uh, though authentically uh, responding to the truth of the Catholic faith will get you to heaven. But, but you know, that uh, what's the old saying? Just because you're in a garage doesn't mean you're a car. <laughs> so, you know, that, that um, we're saved by grace through faith, we believe, as Catholics. And... Uh, uh, there are all sorts of people who, will, you know, when when someone who is from another Christian group says, um, the the uh, doubts your 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 the validity of your Catholic faith, you say, look, were you baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Say, so, no, I was baptized in the name of Jesus only. Well, then we don't think you're Christian. What? Yeah, we believe that you have to be baptized in, to be fully Christian, you have to be baptized in a Trinitarian formula. Well, that's crazy because the Bible says, well, your Bible may say, but my Bible says otherwise. That's one thing. If they say, yes, I was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you say, so was I. And then I'd ask them a second question. Do you love Jesus? They say, of course we love Jesus. So do I. If it's not good enough that we share baptism and we share a love for Christ, then really there's no there's no hope. But I believe that you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and are a Christian. And I'm baptized in the name of the... Well, you weren't baptized as an adult, but as a child. The answer to that is yes, we believe we're saved by grace through faith. Um, 
not not by not by an external ritual and that'll confuse them but really we do you know well babies being baptized should babies be baptized they can't they can't say yes to christ baptism isn't our decision for christ it's christ's decision for us the baptism of an infant is a is a is an act of trust in christ it's an it's it's a belief in the saving power of grace we believe in grace and this child god willing will if if the child's raised in the faith will say yes eventually but baptism is grace and we believe in grace so i am getting a little off the topic a little confused i know i have a habit of doing that but if someone invites you to something who is an evangelical or from a different religious community I think you have the right to say, um, uh, do you think I'm, are, are you baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yeah. Do you love Jesus? Yeah. Well, I'm baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I believe in Jesus. Is this good enough for you? Do you think I'm a Christian? Well, we don't really think you're a Christian. Then I wouldn't go anywhere with them. <laughs> you know, have them over to dinner, be kind to them, be nice to them, love them, be friends with them. But don't let them try to convince you that theirs is the only way uh, to worship God. Because, well, you belong to the oldest church in the Christian in the Christian world, the, the church established by Jesus through the ministry of the apostles. Um, so enough said about that. So, yeah, I guess the movie's okay. It's the spirit in which they are asking you to come that's, that is or is not okay. That was a complicated answer. This is from... Uh, um, uh, a person uh, in uh, who listens on the internet, uh, um, whose first name is Krishna, uh, who is uh, asking about genuflecting on both knees at adoration. I'm in my 40s, and I grew up being told to genuflect on both knees when the Blessed Sacrament is exposed. Now I'm studying to be a deacon, and we are told that the general instruction of the Roman Missal says to genuflect on only one knee. Will be, will I be bound by obedience to genuflect on only one knee after ordination? I want to be obedient, but it feels more reverent to genuflect on both knees with a deep bow like I'm used to. It, it will not be forbidden to genuflect on both knees. The, the general instruction to the Roman Missal, the GIRM, or the germ as we call it, uh, says genuflect on one knee. Well, when you genuflect on two knees, you've automatically genuflected on one knee. It depends how you read it. The whole thing is these are not uh, biblical rules. These are not commandments. These are customs. And I am at that unfortunate stage in my life where I cannot even genuflect on one knee. I sort of curtsy. It's very embarrassing. <laughs> but but uh, you must show reverence. If you cannot kneel, uh, genuflect, a bow is enough. If you want to genuflect on both knees, I don't think that that's uh, a, a, um, a violation of holy obedience when you make a promise of obedience to the bishop. If the bishop were to specifically say, Krishna, I do not want you uh, genu- uh, bowing on both knees, well, that would be different. But this is a general instruction for the Roman Missal. It is not a specific instruction for the Roman Missal. Um, <clears throat> that, that there are some things in it which are absolutely necessary and some things in it that are not. Now, speaking of the general instruction to the Roman Missal, I got a lovely letter from Rosemary in El, El, El Cajon, California. I, is that how one says it? I, I'm sure some California... No, El Cajon means the box. 
I'm sure there's some Californians who probably say it, El Cajon, but it isn't. El Cajon, that's a beautiful letter, Rosemary. Thank you. But she mentions that I spoke. Good. Patrick Alog, who is from the West Coast, says it's El Cajon. I thought so. Okay. Uh, mentions a number of things that I've said on my show, and very kind letter. But she said, I spoke about the rosary before Mass, and she thought it was very brave. Well, I don't know how brave it was. It may have been foolish, but I... <sighs> the general instruction to the Roman Missal says that silence should be observed before Mass. It doesn't say silence needs to be observed after Mass. But I go into churches where they're saying the rosary before Mass, and I love the rosary. I was, We were actively discouraged from saying the rosary in seminary when i was in the seminary in the 60s that was an old superstition the rosary has come thank god has come roaring back i have developed a, a great love for the rosary if i don't say a rosary in a day i i can't sleep i gotta say the rosary before i go to bed and that that was not the way i was trained as a young priest so understand that i think the rosary is a powerful prayer especially in spiritual warfare i have experienced how much the devil hates the rosary uh, he hates the Hail Mary, a prayer that that reminds him that even the human body is sacred, and that God so loved the world that he became, that he sent his only begotten Son to be incarnate in human flesh. Devil hates the Rosary, but I really think that the general instruction of the Roman Missal, saying silence should be observed before Mass, is a very good thing. I don't think the choir should be rehearsing in the body of the church before Mass. I don't think there should be mood music playing. I've been into churches where there is electronic mood music playing, and and the reason is just to get people to be quiet. Um, it, it, it's The Scripture says, Be still and know that I'm God. That's one of the beautiful things about Catholicism traditionally, where you can get 100 people in a room being silent. It's the only place that happens anywhere. And it is it is uh, an act of of fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, to honor the presence of God in that place. And I firmly believe it. After Mass, the general instruction says nothing. All bets are off. Though I would recommend that if you see people praying in church, take it outside to the vestibule or outside the church out of respect for them. If you want to say the rosary as part of our, your visit to church on a Sunday, say it after. But that people will leave. Well, they yes, they'll leave. That must mean they don't want to say the rosary. But, but Father, the rosary is wonderful. I love the rosary. I think that everyone should say the rosary every day. But understand that there should be a time of silence and preparation for the liturgy. This is in the general instruction, and I think it is a wonderful, wonderful idea. Um, it's just, there's such raging disrespect. And, you know, it's us old people who are the worst. We get a little deep, and we, what? <laughs> the other day I was called a friend and said, well, I got to go, and I, I, I got to pay my bills. And he said, what, you have to paint your gills? Yeah, I got to paint my gills. <laughs> At any rate, you know, we're getting, I'm getting old and deep. And so we think we're whispering, but we're not whispering. We're talking like this because we can't hear ourselves. You get the point? Shut up in church before mass. Be still and know that I'm God. Very important thing. So I really believe it. Um, you know, I, I, 
uh, you know, I'm I'm sort of um, whistling in the wind here, and you know, it's I don't really expect anybody to hear it, but the idea of a, a, a number of people being respectfully quiet is a thing that almost never happens in our society, you know. So it's impressive when someone comes into a church and there's a hundred people who are shutting up. They wonder what is in this place. Well, it's simple. The Lord is in this place. All right. We are going to go to a break. We'll come back with a word of the day, as promised, and we'll open the phones at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Battling addictions? Our sponsor, St. Gregory Recovery Center, can help you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. Father Simon says... I've talked to Ambassador Trentino, and he says Albania doesn't want war either. Either. Doesn't want war either. Either. Skip it. On Relevant Radio. about Red Sea Radio in Texas. Nice folks. Hello, Red Sea Radio. A special shout out to the Texans. Oh, Lord. Well, we can move along here to the word of the day. The word of the day here is call is Father. Because in the gospel we read, uh, um, call no one on earth your, f- as for you, do not be called rabbi. You have one teacher and you're all brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have one father in heaven. Do not be called master. You have one master, the Christ. How come if the Bible says call no man father, Catholics call their priests father? Well, not all Catholic priests are called father. Uh, in Spain and Italy, the title is Don. Uh, uh, in France, it's Monsieur le Curé. Uh, it, in German and English, it is. Uh, uh, they do use the title Father. Uh, in Mexico, they use Padre, which is Father. When someone says to you, how come you call your Catholic priest Father when the Bible says to call no man Father? I always say to them, what do you call that man who married your mother? <sighs> What's going on in this reading? You have to understand the rabbinate at the time of Christ. A rabbi was a very revered person, and still is. Um, And you will still see certain sects of Judaism who have an almost uh, worshipful attitude toward a religious teacher, especially, for instance, among certain certain sects of uh, Hasidic Judaism. Um, uh, I, I heard the question once posed academically, if your father and your rabbi are in a boat drowning and you can only save one of them, who would you save? Of course, you'd save your rabbi because he gives you spiritual life, which is so much uh, more significant than simply the carnal, fleshly life that your father gave you. Of course, that's ridiculous. They would struggle to dress the rabbi. They would, they would just, the rabbi was everything. And what Jesus is saying is don't do that. Um, the word rabbi really means my great one. It doesn't mean teacher directly. Uh, um, it means my great one. Uh, 
And of course, the word master, uh, strictly speaking, means teacher. And it's very interesting because the word rabbi is essentially reverend, someone who's to be revered. The word teacher in Latin is doctor. And of course, father means someone who, who is uh, the, the head of a family, uh, be it natural fatherhood or adoptive fatherhood. So every denomination I know of either uses reverend or doctor or father. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in that sense. However, St. Paul talks about uh, fatherhood in his letter to the Ephesians. I fall on my knees to the father of Jesus, uh, from whom every fatherhood in heaven and earth draws its name. The word is patria, patria I think, in Greek, and that means fatherhood. It also can mean family, but it's, it's fatherhood. Then he talks about, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he talks about, you may have many, many babysitters in Christ, but I alone engendered you. Paul is calling himself uh, a father. And and the word father is used in scripture elsewhere. Jesus is making a point. And uh, what he's saying is don't have gurus. Don't expect from your religious teachers, be they father uh, or reverend or doctor, an infallibility and a, and a perfection that only God has. Now, we believe that the Holy Father is, is in Rome. Is uh, There's the word Father. The Pope in Rome is infallible under certain circumstances, but not every utterance that he makes is infallible, and every utterance that your parish priest makes is certainly not infallible. Uh, every, every utterance that some religious teacher makes is not necessarily infallible. Don't have gurus. That's what Jesus is saying, and and one can get a little a little obscure about this. Um, father is not so much a title as a relationship. If you use it as a title, well, it's eh, fair. But if it's a relationship that this 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 man is acting in a paternal way regarding the salvation of my soul, he feeds me spiritually. He protects me from from uh, the enemies of the faith, uh, and he he cares for my religious upbringing and education. That's the work. That's the relationship of fatherhood. So if you, if you call someone father as a title, that's my bother. But if it's a relationship, then it's most important. And that's what we mean in the Catholic church. When we call our priest father, it's a relationship. So be aware of that and enter into that relationship uh, of, of, of familial affection in your parishes and with your pastors. That's how I look at it. All right, let's go to phone calls. Why you ask me a little easy question? Will you answer it? A tiny one. A tiny is a tiny one. I got a lot of calls here. Deb from Colorado, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. Yes, in regard to your your speaking about being quiet, quiet and reverent before Mass, what do you recommend we do... Um, <laughs> We have a, a priest at our weekday masses where he holds, he has a very vibrant, loud voice and holds conversation with parishioners as they're walking in. And then granted, as a weekday mass, it's very quiet to begin with, but the doors are open and he holds conversations where you can hear everything. Is there anything you can recommend that, or is there anything sure. I cannot, I shouldn't do? No, sure. No, sure. Do what the Bible says. Go talk to him alone. And if he refuses to listen to you, talk with one other um, and do it in a loving and respectful way, saying, Father, 
I don't know if you know this, but but you're really loud, and you know it's kind of hard to pray quietly and get ready for mass. We're so grateful for for your being here, but would you be able to close the doors when 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 oh. you're having a conversation? Okay. Oh, I'd never All do. Right. Yeah, why not? Just just uh. you know, speak the truth in love, and then if he refuses to to say, I'll do what I want. Well, uh, <laughs> some of us priests can get a little surly. I know I can. Then go with one other, and most most priests at the first time will say, "Oh, I'm sorry." Um, the uh, where I'm saying mass these days, there was an usher who's a wonderful man, but they would always keep the doors wide open to the vestibule, and he has he has one of these booming voices, and uh, it took me a couple weeks to get him to close those vestibule doors, but it worked, and we're still friends, okay. so you can do it. That's what I would suggest. All right. So Be I a little brave and say, Father, we love you. <laughs> Father, we love you. But, okay. you know, and if people refuse to shut up, get some of those those uh, foam earplugs and ostentatiously put them in your ears before Mass. <laughs> I have done that in my done own that. parishes sometimes. Yes, I, exactly. I have done that during adoration, <laughs> so yes. Okay, yeah, thank you, yeah. Father. It's, you know, some that might have people get the message. But, yeah, don't be afraid to talk to your parish priest, you know. Just as you would a father who loves you. Assume it. All right. God bless. And good okay. luck with that, Deb. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Michelle. You're welcome. <laughs> let's go to Michelle from South Jersey. What can I do for you, Michelle? Hi, Father. Um, yes. When I went to confession on Saturday, and actually the prior time also, um, the priest told me to say, when I was finished confessing my sins, and he gave me some instruction in mm-hmm. penance, he told me to say the act of confession. And then as I was saying the act of contrition, he started, he was saying the absolution. So Mm -hmm. I was quite confused, didn't really hear the absolution over myself saying the act of contrition. And I just wondering what I should do in that case. No, it, it, it worked. I mean, God heard it, so God heard your yeah, act of contrition well, okay. and the absolution. Yeah, you were, you were. It was a valid absolution. Sometimes priests are old and deaf. Sometimes they're in a rush. Sometimes they're both. So, uh, well, there so, were uh, there were a lot of people waiting and yeah. not enough time yeah. for confession. But yes, should, but yes. if that happens again, should I just not say the act of contrition and say it afterwards? No, no. If he says say an act of contrition, say the act of contrition, and uh, that used to be much more common when we did it in Latin. Remember, the absolution used to be in Latin, and nobody knew what was going on, and it still worked. I mean, the Lord knows what... You know, an act of... Let's look at the act of contrition. There are lots of mm-hmm. different acts of contrition. There are lots of different formulas. The The fact of coming into a confessional, in its sense, is an act of sorrow, an act mm-hmm. of contrition. And and so it's not... It's, it's the words of the priest are necessary for the sacrament. The words of the act of contrition are not necessary. An act of contrition is necessary, but right. even kneeling down, in a sense, is an act of contrition. And there are variant formulas. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. You know, sometimes when priests are very busy, they'll say you can say your penance and your act of contrition out in the pew. You know, because mm-hmm. sometimes I remember, you know, I would hear confessions on, on Holy Saturday and on Good Friday, and those little doors were moving so fast that they were smoking. <laughs> so, you know, you, you get a lot of sometimes, you know, and it's to me it's amazing. When I was a younger priest, we thought the sacrament of reconciliation was practically dead. It has come back strongly, which is wonderful. So, uh, yeah, if your priest is deaf or busy or deaf and busy, nah, it, still, it still takes. Does that help a little? 
It helps a lot, Father. Thank you so much. Well, God bless you. You guys will talk to you, Michelle. Mm-hmm. Monica, you listen. Thank okay. you. Thank Let's you so go much. to Tom from your welcome. Let's go to Tom from Tucson. Hi, Tom, Father. what can I do for you? Hi, what can I do for you? Well, I've got a, a deep, deep question for you. <clears throat> oh, do we have, dear. <laughs> do we have infused knowledge or is it, I mean, is it revealed to us or unlocked within us? Oh, gosh. I would, I would say that, that there are some people who have a definite gift of infused knowledge. Uh, others have uh, infused ignorance. I'm just joking about that. No, uh, but but I think that at different times, um, I think the Lord infuses knowledge in everyone. Uh, it isn't the particular gift, and I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, count on it. The Saint Paul says in First Corinthians 13, chapter. Uh, our knowledge we know imperfectly and and we prophesy imperfectly um so you know we used to talk in the old pentecostal moon about you know that you know that you know and i think that is a common experience though it is it is a limited experience infused knowledge uh is you know the the sense of the nearness of the lord that would be an infused knowledge but I've known people who had a gift so of knowledge who can look at you and tell so you your, your life. Right. So Go I'm on. curious because a conversation I've had with another, I'm a scientist, mathematician, ah. physicist, chemist, polymath, and very faithful and very grateful and humble. And, you know, every time I have these profound revelations and scientific things, I'm like, wow, thank you, Lord, because I realize it's mm-hmm. yeah. not me. Well, one of my colleagues was saying, well, yes, but we're infused with all knowledge and only clouded by sin. So I've been trying to figure this out. So I was reading Hamani Generis, you know, the um, encyclical by um, Pope Pius XII, which is, wow, that is a unbelievably great document to read. Yeah. Um, But but line three really, so I'm confused. I mean, do we have all knowledge within us and it's only clouded by sin or does God give us knowledge as we ask for it? I mean, is it, is is it predescendant or postcendent? I, I would say God gives us knowledge as we need it. Uh, Um, I think that that's, that's probably the most accurate way to put it. And there are some people who have an exceptional charism, the, the word of knowledge. Um, but I don't think we can go so far as to say we know all things and it's only clouded by sin. Uh, because even, even Jesus, who was not a sinner, left his right, you know, God is not knowledge. God is love. Jesus never ceased to be... That, yeah, yeah that's the, never, I share your position. I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. The, the knowledge is extra. It isn't constitutive of Christ's divinity. And so he laid those privileges of his divinity on the heavenly throne and became a man like us in all things but sin. But he never ceased to be that second person of the Trinity because God is love. God has knowledge. God has power. He is love. And so Jesus himself had to rely on what the Father revealed to him. I always do what is pleasing to the Father. And uh, he did not, he gave up all knowledge. And if Jesus, if there were things that Jesus didn't know, such as he said, that hour is known to the Father alone, there are 
a lot more things I'm not going to know. So I, I think that that um, uh, I think that that infused knowledge, the Lord gives it to us when we need it. And some people have have that special gift, like Padre Pio did. Uh, but but I don't think we can say we have all knowledge. Uh, it's only clouded by sin. Uh, I, I would I, I don't think that's true. And I, I should talk to some real theologians and find out. But I hope that helps a little. Yeah, well, no, it, it does. Thank you. And, and your use of Padre Pio is also interesting because I expressed our, you know, we, we understand time as a variable, which is something that's yeah. difficult for most people. But in, in, yeah. you know, if you're a physicist or a mathematician, you certainly understand yeah. this. And, yes. you know, Padre yes. Pio would, would, you know, had this gift of bilocation, which, you know, in yeah. physics, we understand why that can work. Sure. So it can that work. was also kind of an, ex, you know, yeah, it, it, it's this very, yeah. <laughs> very um, intriguing thoughts. Quant- quantum mechanics is a lot harder to swallow than the miracles of the Bible. I mean, really, you know, my, my father, my, my father was a bookkeeper. My mother was a math major. And I can only count to 20 if my shoes are off. So I have great respect for mathematicians. Oh, there's music in my head. I'm honored that you listen. And speaking of math. Stay tuned, because Drew really counts for a lot. Ooh, bad pun. We'll be right. No, he'll be right back. I'm. I'm. It's nap time for me.